hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. To love God is the number one most important of all commandments. When we do that, with all that we have, then everything else falls into place. Now, have you ever thought about this? How does the Lord feel about those who love him and give their all for him? I think this story gives us just a glimpse. Just days before the Savior's death, He came to Bethany. Now, he would be crucified on a Friday, and it was probably the Friday before when he came to Bethany, so a week before, where he was hosted for supper by Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. As Martha served the meal, Mary suddenly came to the table, broke open an alabaster box of precious ointment, and anointed the Savior's head and feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the odor of the sweet-smelling lotion. Now, some of the disciples began to murmur, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? The whiner and complainer was Judas. That ointment was oil of spikenard, which means it was imported and it was extremely valuable. If Judas's comment is any indication, it was almost a year's wages to purchase that box of ointment that she poured on the Savior's head and feet. So it's a very precious ointment. Well, why is Mary doing this? And why are the disciples murmuring? Well, evidently, their unkind words had to have stung Mary's tender soul, especially in an act of devotion, because Jesus came immediately to her defense. He said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Verily, she has come beforehand to anoint my body to the burying. End of quote. And then the Savior added these solemn words. She has done what she could, and this which she has done unto me shall be had in remembrance in generations to come, wheresoever my gospel shall be preached. End of quote. What? What a promise. Jesus wanted this woman, Mary of Bethany, to be remembered for all time by every disciple who ever remembered him. I've thought a great deal about this. Why? What was it in that simple deed of pouring that oil in devotion upon him that was so important to him? First of all, that ointment, as I said, was not your ordinary lotion, spikenard, imported from India, worth a year's wages, and it represented an uncommon sacrificial offering. Secondly, 
to anoint one's head in that custom and culture, to anoint one's head and feet as she did him, was an act of reverential homage rarely rendered even to kings. So this was indeed an act of reverent love and devotion. Further, she had saved this ointment for his burial, thus indicating that were so many of Jesus' disciples in that last week did not believe or comprehend his ominous predictions about his death, she did. Sacrifice, love, faith, and lastly, kindness. Compassion and kindness, even and perhaps especially the perfect Son of Almighty God was so affected by her timely kindness that he memorialized her for all time and asked us to remember her as well. In this first story on the life of the Savior, the culmination of a life he lived of service, please remember that every measure of cruelty and unkindness we give to another will be remembered and returned to us when the Lord comes again. If we do not repent, we will have to face and then feel all the hurt we have brought on others. But those who have practiced the godly art of kindness will bask in the warmth of the Savior's loving kindness on that day. As you know, to be kind to others is to be kind to him. Second story. I hope you're doing okay tonight, and I hope that there's someone out there I can't really tell. After all the stories we have told, and the hundreds and the hundreds that we may yet tell, there yet remains one story, one event of history that is more transcendent than any other, the Savior's atonement in the Garden of Gethsemane. As I see it, this is a story that needs to be heard and understood by anyone who has ever wrestled with the bitterness of guilt and the blush of shame by anyone who has ever felt burdened and inadequate, by anyone who has ever felt worthless and alone, lonely, by anyone who has ever felt that life really had no purpose and was not worth living, this story is for you. After the singing of a sacred hymn, Jesus and the apostles left the upper room of the Last Supper and made their way out of Jerusalem to the east, to the Mount of Olives. Taking Peter, James, and John, Jesus went partway up the Mount of Olives and entered the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press. It's a place where olives were grown and then crushed under intense pressure to extract their life-sustaining oil. Evidently, it was a place that Jesus had gone many times before. He invited the three apostles. Now listen carefully because 
The way I'm going to share this story may be just a bit different in some minute details. He took the three apostles, Peter, James, and John, deeper into the garden and invited them to tarry and to watch with him. Why? Witnesses, friends in a difficult time. The Savior then went about a stone's throw away and collapsed face first to the ground, praying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. End of quote. After some time in prayer, all of which that was said we do not know, and after how much time we don't know, Jesus returned to the three apostles, and interestingly enough, they were asleep. Jesus woke them, saying, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Jesus left them again and again in incomprehensible physical and spiritual agony, brought on by the sins of all mankind and the onslaught of all hell itself. Jesus bowed beneath the load and prayed, O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Luke records that there appeared unto him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Tradition holds that that angel was, quoting Elder McConkie, mighty Michael himself, who foremost fell that men might be. And the scripture says, and being in an agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he returned the third time, the apostles were again asleep. Jesus said to them, sleep on now and take your rest. And then he watched over them for a period of time until shortly he looked across the Kidron Valley and could see a mob, men coming with swords and staves and lanterns crossing the valley in the darkness. He awoke them and said, rise, let us be going. He that betrayeth me is at hand. As Judas and the men come into the darkened garden, Judas comes forward into the darkness after instructing the soldiers who says, he that I kiss is the man. And he went forward and kissed the Savior on the cheek. Jesus said, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus then stepped out into the light, knowing what would follow. The soldiers went back and fell to the ground. Why? in complete astonishment at his appearance. After a bloody, agonizing sweat for upwards of three hours, can you imagine what he must have looked like? 
the shocking and startling appearance. He said to them, Whom seekest thou? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. And at that point, the mob gathered themselves up, came forward, and Jesus was arrested. With a rope around his neck, he was led away back into the city of Jerusalem. And eventually, after standing before Pilate, he is condemned and led to the cross where his atoning sacrifice was completed on the cross and in the garden. The Savior took upon himself in that garden that night your sins, my sins, our pains, our sicknesses, our weaknesses, our infirmities, all of the inequity and unfairness, all of the burdens and ills of this world. He bore it all, an incomprehensible burden for mortals, an infinite burden of sin and an endless stream of individuals passed through him that night. For that moment in time, he who knew no sin and guilt became for us the greatest sinner of them all. God laid on him the sins of us all. He bore our burdens. Truly, Jesus is our compassionate high priest. He understands us and he can help us as literally no one else can. By virtue of his precious blood shed from every pore of his body, he stands between us and justice, pleading our cause eternally. He is our mediator, not in an adversarial way as mediator. The Father wants only for us what the Son wants and vice versa. They want our eternal glory. My friends, the atonement of Jesus Christ is not a legend of long ago and far away. It is a vital principle, a truth, an active principle, a truth of history so intimate and so intertwined with our daily existence that even now, if we could comprehend the full of it, we would fall in profound gratitude with even a mustard seed of a glimpse. I shared this most important of all stories because more than anything, I pray that the hopeless, the overwhelmed, the sinner, any who, who are suffering and not at peace, I want you to know how much he can help and will help with each and every problem. Therefore, let us come boldly under the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, let me step back. If we leave the Garden of Gethsemane, one of the places that we take you to in Jerusalem, St. Peter Galicantu, 
where you have the opportunity to see the staircase that Jesus likely came up when he was brought before the high priest, and from there taken before Pilate. Steadfast. Now, we don't use this word much anymore, but yes, you know, it's all over in the scriptures, and we are admonished to be steadfast and immovable. Well, what does steadfast mean? Well, it means to be constant, firm, resolute, not fickle and wavering. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines like this. This is steadfast. It was early in the morning when the council of the Jews led Jesus to Pilate. They brought him to the Roman governor. They had already spent the night in a mockery of a trial and condemned him to death. But under the Roman law, the Jewish leaders could not carry it out, a capital punishment. Only Pilate, the Roman procurator, could give that order. But, as you well understood, blasphemy, according to Mosaic law, meant nothing to Pilate. He was a Roman. So they had to come up with charges that would stick and have meaning. And what charge is the worst? Treason. Sedition. They said to Pilate, we found this fellow perverting the nation, they said. Pilate dismissed them. He wanted nothing to do with this, but they insisted. So Pilate went back and questioned Jesus. Now, as you know, there's so much more to the story that I can't, I don't have time to tell. But they questioned Jesus. And after a few minutes, Pilate came back out and said, I find no fault in this man. That only made the rulers more vehement. They began to accuse him of many things. Jesus, meanwhile, said nothing. Upon learning that Jesus was a Galilean, Pilate sent him to Herod, who had jurisdiction over Galilee. Herod questioned Jesus in many words, but ultimately Jesus answered him nothing. And Pilate arrayed him in a purple robe, mocked him, and sent him back to Pilate. He too, Herod, wanted nothing to do with the situation. Pilate then called the chief priests, the rulers, and this time the people, and said, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man. I will therefore chastise him and release him. Now, in response, when Pilate said, Whom shall I release unto you? The crowd, the common people gathered outside, began to cry aloud that Pilate would deliver Jesus unto them. The crowd asked for Jesus to be released initially, not Barabbas. But the scripture says, The chief priests moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And within moments, that fickle, wavering crowd went from asking for the Savior's release to chanting, away with him, crucify him, his blood be upon us. Pilate 
pleaded with the Jews to let him go. But they cried all the louder, not this man, but Barabbas. For whatever reason, possibly to invoke their sympathies, I don't know, Pilate had Jesus scourged and then brought him forth once again before the people and said, Behold the man. And once more Pilate said to them, I find no fault in him. But the people screamed. He ought to die because he made himself the son of God. That struck Pilate and made him all the more afraid. And twice more he tried to let Jesus go. But when he saw that he could prevail nothing, that rather a great tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See that ye do nothing to him. Eight times Pilate the pagan sought to release the Son of God. But in the end, having really no choice at the moment, he bowed to the clamoring crowd who were nothing more than dupes of evil and conniving men. All the while in the midst of this drama, the master stood fixed, firm, constant, steadfast. No crowd ever did or ever could move him from the course of righteousness. Crowds and strident majorities can be and often are dangerous. My dear friends, we were invited to get on the covenant path. That covenant path leads past a building that's been called in other places great and spacious. We will be on that covenant path, you will, and you will be mocked and crowds will jeer and even try to push you off. I hope and pray, after the example of the Savior, that you and I can be simply steadfast and immovable. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.